they feel like it's going to catch them more fish. And um, 99% of the time, it's it's the wizard and not the wand. You know what I mean? If you can afford a, a $200 rod, and that's what you can afford, and that's what you're willing to set aside for fly fishing, spend the money, learn how to get all you can out of that rod. You know, in my opinion, like, bias aside, I think that in general, the 500 dollar range to like the $900 range those blanks are, are typically all really really good stuff three So here's what I want to do, Tate. I want to have just a common sense discussion about fly rods. I don't want to get too far into the minutia of this has to be this way and this has to be that way. I think we all know that rods are made by different companies in different ways, different types and different techniques and that sort of thing, which produces a different product. In the end, I don't think any of us can cast as good as most of the fly rods on the market. Meaning, whenever I cast a rod, I think I can always find something I could do a little better that the rod would be able to do if I was just able to get that rod to do it. Does that that make sense? Yes, it does. So if that's the case, then if I pick up a a $100 fly rod or a $900 fly rod or a $500 fly rod. So let's go with a $500 to a $900 fly rod between there. What, what What's the differences between a $500 fly rod and a $900 rod? If I'm looking to upgrade, if, I, if I'm a newer angler and I'm like, okay, I've got all of my, my $200 rod and we're just talking, the money is just for a category to, st- to stuff things, okay? Uh, right. If I'm ready to make a move up to maybe the next step, what are the differences between that $500 rod and that $900 rod? Yeah, I think that the biggest jump you'll notice is coming from like the the $200 fly rod category that you mentioned you know typically they use lower modulus graphite which is really strong material but it's also the downside to that it's a heavier rod so from that to the type of guides that are being used to the grade of the cork all that stuff sort of steps up when you go into the 500 rod category in general so including the modulus starting to step up so when you go from that mid price level rod which is like the 300 to like mid fives you know you're definitely going to see a better grade of court between that and like your 900 to a thousand dollar rod which would be like a floor plus grade so let's say on our vesper which is in that mid price range we use a floor grade material which is kind of also the same thing as quadruple a but when you go up to like say like a loomis Asquith rod right they'll use smaller rings the grade of the cork is is higher it's just less imperfections. And, you know, you start stepping up to maybe the latest and greatest stripping guides. Fit and finish is certainly a thing. But you also have the part about ma- being made in the U.S., which generally those higher end rods that are in that like $900 range, those are made here. So of course your cost and your labor, and if they're innovating, their R&D, all of that stuff has to be factored in into that package that's pretty expensive for folks. You know, in my opinion, like bias aside, I think that in general, the $500 range to like the $900 range, those blanks are, are typically all really, really good stuff. Outside of that, I think I think it comes down to where, where those are made. 
what kind of time they're putting into the blanks and designing here in the U.S. and, you know, fit and finish, court grade, all that good stuff. To me, the bigger jump is from the $200 to $500, more so than the $500 to the $900 range. Talk about modulus. Let's go back just a minute. I don't want to get geeked out on this because in the end, I don't know how much it matters once you make that first step, but Tell me the differences in modulus. You, you mentioned modulus. I want to know a little bit more. I don't need to know exactly how it made, but what's the, the major, major difference there? Typically on the less expensive rods, they'll use a lower modulus graphite. The great thing about the lower modulus stuff is typically it's a lot stronger than your higher modulus stuff. Okay. But the downside to that is it's usually a lot heavier and less stiff. So it's it's not quite as responsive as high modulus. You know, it's not as lightweight as, as high modulus. So it just costs more to make high modulus, you know, than it does like a lower mod graphite. So what is, what's a modulus? <laughs> Basically, it, it equates to the stiffness of that graphite. You know, the higher modulus you go, like 50 million modulus, like that's going to be a lot stiffer than like 24 million modulus. So so it's, it's really a difference in stiffness than anything else. That would make a difference whenever I'm stopping the rod. Right. When people are casting, me included, and I, I, I fall in this bucket, it took me a while to figure out it's not how fast you go it's how fast you stop right that's what Mm -hmm. makes that fly go and then the rod being true and all that is what makes it go where you're pointed so Mm -hmm. so how fast you stop makes really makes it go makes that fly go as far as you want it to go that rod running true and you pointing the tip where you want the fly to go is what makes it go where you want it to go so length is one piece accuracy is the other and I, i would say stopping the rod i guess probably the most common sense thing that i can say about that is been a while since you've been here but there's a place called big bobby's barbecue right up the street here and i went to big bobby's the other night and i bought you know the usual ribs and the barbecue and all that and i laid it in the front seat and it's not a far drive back home but it's a pretty populated area so i'm I'm driving about 30 miles an hour i go up to the start up to the first red light it turns red i start slowing down i stop well the big bobby stuff kind of slid just a little bit in the seat not a big deal I was like, okay, cool. Light turns green. I take off. I go a little bit further. Some dude decides, oh, hey, I'm going to turn in here, but I've got to stop to make this right-hand turn. <laughs> Whenever I slammed on the brakes and stopped, basically, uh-huh. Big Bobby stuff went to the floor. Fortunately, one of those little white styrofoam things, mm-hmm. him stopping and making that right turn, that sent that Big Bobby's barbecue into the floor. So the difference there is kind of easing up to the red light and stopping. You know, it does not a lot of force. It doesn't go anywhere. It stays in the seat. Mm-hmm. The dude stopping in front of me, I slam on the brakes, basically. It takes off. So that's that's kind of the difference. That's probably a common sense way of saying stopping the rod is a big deal. Right. You know, the longer your rod is, and if you have lower modulus out on the end of your rod, and you have a really long rod, chances are it's going to take a lot longer to stop than, you know, higher modulus, which is stiffer. The more you shorten that lever, then the quicker that can recover as well. So, I mean, that's that's a very basic way of, of sort of saying that. But yeah, you just get a lot more responsiveness, feel, and recovery with a little bit faster rod with higher modulus graphite. And swing weight, that's that's a big one too. You know, like if you're using low modulus graphite, it's going to be heavier and you're going to feel that weight out on the end than you are with a higher modulus graphite, which helps that swing weight tremendously, which makes a big difference on your feel as well. Just feels like a better rod in your hand. I've seen people and I've done it walking to a fly shop somebody says hey check out this new rod and i'm kind of waving it around stopping is you know seeing it seeing what it does when i stop it that's really the only the only way to really tell a difference for me is to cast them one right after the other mm-hmm. with the same line with the same reel because the reel makes a difference because that changes the weight on the end changes it 
on the other end as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of think of it of like having a potato at the end of your stick, you know, like the further out that potato is on the end of your stick, like your swing weight is worse because it's, it's a lot tip heavier. But if you bring that weight, if you bring that potato closer to you on that stick, it's going to make the swing weight a lot better and it's going to feel a lot better in your hand. So it's, it's really about that balance and weight distribution. That's going to make a difference and just, it'll just feel better to you just for like a normal angler. That's just picking up a rod for the first time. That's a tangible difference. You'll be able to tell from a less expensive rod to a lot higher end rod right well hey let's let's tell everybody who we're talking to here so welcome into southeastern fly we wanted to talk about rods today and i can't think of a, a nicer guy i count him as a friend been a partner for moonshine rods for four years he was a guest on episode five he's a cool guy he's a fishy guy let's welcome back to the podcast tate cunningham hey thanks so much man very kind of you to say and i appreciate you seeing that and I, I count you as a friend as well so appreciate that thanks for having me on again i wanted to have a common sense discussion so i didn't want to get too too deep in into the these and thous if you will i didn't want to get so deep into it that we'd lost people i want to keep it a common sense discussion of what am i looking for in a rod and i know that we there's so much advertisement out there there's stuff coming at us on our phones on our computers in magazines if you still get those you go into a fly shop you get into those discussions but i wanted to arm the listener out there with just a little bit of information that they could use whenever they pick up a rod even if they're fishing with a buddy picking up a rod and knowing what you're looking for or having an idea you don't have to know but you have to have an idea of what you're looking for. And I think the differences in that $500 and $900 rod, that question that we just talked about, which came off of the podcast by Southeastern Fly Facebook group, which is where I'm getting a lot of these questions. Uh, but some of these have come with folks, you know, that have fished on the boat before as well. And some of the folks that fish on the boat ask exactly the same questions that the podcast folks asked whenever I went to them. So a lot of this kind of interchanges, but just common sense information. We don't want to get so technical that, that, if you see my eyes, eyes glaze over, I'm pretty sure that somebody else is out there. Their eyes are going to glaze over too. I just know what I like. I know what the feel is that I'm looking for. I've never really thought, well, I wonder what the modulus is on this exactly. You know, I've never pinned a number to that. The only number I'm pinning is the cost and the weight. The weight's a little bit different, but let's talk about weight just a second. Sure. So we've got these rods that we cast and we're like, wow, that's really good. That feels really good. And then you might pick up another one and it'd be super light and you cast it and you're like, wow, this feels really good only because it's lighter reading those ounces for the rod in a magazine or on a on an ad is really tough to know what does that equate to is there some common sense way that i can figure out what the difference is in those weights it's going to be kind of hard to really know until you get that rod in your hand because you could have a rod that weighs like let's say a five weight that weighs like 3.4 ounces and say it has really excellent swing weight on it you know meaning like out on that tip end it's just it doesn't feel tip heavy at all most of that weight is back in the butt section that'll feel completely different than like let's say a five weight that weighs 2.9 ounces but it has poor swing weight like you've got more weight on the end so you could have a heavier rod in some cases it seems like it would be worse because it's heavier but when you feel the two side by side like it could actually feel a little bit better just because the swing weight is improved i don't think that's generally the case but you know that's sort of like you know just kind of an example of what can happen when you have good swing weight versus bad swing weight so i, I think the best way to really tell if you're trying to find a really lightweight 
five weight, which would be sort of like in the sub three ounce category of five weight, nine foot is just really just to pick them up and see lighter doesn't always equal better just in the way it feels in your hand, but usually it is. I hope that makes it sense. It does. And at the end of the day, and I know I've said this before, I can tell on an eight hour float, I can tell about hour five to six, somewhere in mm-hmm. there, people that have a, a higher dollar rod, sometimes they're, they're, and I'm using air quotes here, a little bit more experienced angler. They're also a little fresher than a person that's got that heavier rod. That makes a difference. But you don't, well, I was going to say you don't fish eight hours. Sure. If you're anything like me, you do. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm with you, man. Uh, Let's go back to that potato at the end of the stick thing. Like if you're you're out there on the boat, boat holding a rod that's got something heavy out on the end for six hours, it's going to feel completely different at the end of the day versus moving that potato or your weight distribution back towards you, you know, holding it closer to your chest, if you will. Having a rod that's super tip heavy, that can definitely make a difference in your day for sure. So, and that gets tougher to mitigate that when you get out to longer rods, you know, like say our Epiphany, for instance, which is a Euro nymphing rod. It's, you know, the longest one we make is 10 foot six. So it's a really long rod. And I know that when we first made that rod, it definitely needed to be improved on the swing weight, which, you know, it was a tip heavy rod and that's very hard to do. So when we redesigned that rod, we first of all we shaved over an ounce off of that that rod which is like the equivalent of a brick in the (laughs) rod world but also just really improve the swing weight on that too and bringing that weight distribution back towards the angler so that can make all the difference in fatigue you know while you're fishing all day versus a rod that's super tip heavy or poor swing swing weight so are all sections of rods made from the same material not always so trying to think uh some companies some rod designers they'll use different materials depending on what they want to achieve you know so again you go back to the lower modulus the the great thing about that stuff is that it's stronger but it's also heavier you know that's sort of the trade-off and then at the other extreme you got the higher modulus stuff which is much lighter and it's more responsive but it can also be more brittle than say 30 million modulus graphites so an engineer can take the best attributes of both of those graphites for example and if you see a rod that says multi-modulus that's usually what that means. They're, they're using different types of graphite in order to, to achieve a different thing. Even some manufacturers will blend glass in there. You know, I know we're getting off of uh, fly rods here, but I, I think of ugly stick, you know, like I think they they use a mix. You'll see out on that tip section, it pretty much becomes fiberglass. And that's the clear part on an ugly stick, right? It looks more white or clearish. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. The good part of that is like it's nearly indestructible, but it's also very heavy stuff. So again, you're always trying to find that, you know, the trade-off and using the best of both worlds to achieve whatever it is you're trying to do. So getting out there and fishing with something that's in, that's not in production yet. So a prototype and understanding that's very important, especially on long runs. Absolutely. This is a general question, but it also kind of gets down to the way that y'all build rods. I guess I learned this when I was doing a fishing show up in Nashville. I was up there with a, uh, a guy that did a magazine. And, and I was writing art- articles for it. And uh, he had a booth and he was like, hey, can you come up here and tie flies? And I said, yeah, I can come up and tie flies, you know, for a day or so. That'd be fine. As the show wound down, we started talking to the guy that was across the aisle from us. And he was a lure maker. He made lures for bass mostly. And we got into this long discussion about 
how he builds these lures. And what, what he was saying was, he said, and, and they build fly rods sometimes the same way, which that's what piqued my interest. Okay, mm-hmm. so so that let me let me tell you how that story went down. So as he's talking about how he builds lures, whenever he said, well, this is a way that some people build fly rods too, I started really listening then because I wanted to know. But he said that the way he takes lures, builds lures, is he gets all the parts and he'll take uh, the shaft and one of the blades and give them to one person. And they'll put all the all that together. That's their only job. Then he'll go pick them up and he'll take them to another person who might put on a, a skirt over the hook. So he's like building this in pieces, which I thought, man, that's a good way to build lures because it's not they're not complicated. A fly rod seems more complicated. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the best way to build a production rod? I think it takes uh, for us and what we've experienced it, it takes a tremendous amount of of research and talking to other people in the industry before we uh land on somebody that we want to build our rods for us so that takes a long time to figure out just somebody that's reputable that makes good stuff um a lot of communication on the front end a lot of testing r&d with action samples to the cosmetic samples at the end i mean it, there's just it's a lot more involved than say like our midnight special that's the one that we assemble here that goes between two people so it's a lot more hands on here that we can see and touch and and do and make sure everything's great but with the stuff that we're building over in korea for example you know the, it just takes a lot more time and trust and energy to make sure all of that stuff is in line and in good shape on the front end before we actually put it out and sell it. Just being really informed on who it is you choose to work with that's been doing it, like our factory that we have, for example, like they've been doing this for literally 40 years you know they they've been around forever and so they know what they're doing and use all the -the state-of-the-art equipment and do everything that we want them to do and we even have them pull stuff off of production before they even send it to us just to check and make sure like everything is good to go because it you know er everything with a fly rod is like some of its parts so if you have one little thing that's off that would be a bad thing when you get a (laughs) container full of rods with something's wrong and i'll tell you a quick story you know when our uh when we uh we're working on on our Vesper we released last May, we actually got our first shipment of Vesper back in February of 20. And there were, we wanted to use light wire single foot guides, for example. And we had a certain real seat color that we had on that. And when we got that, that was, that was two of the things that were off. It had the standard single foot guides instead of light wire. And then the real seat color was wrong. So that was a, that was a very expensive lesson on, you know, making sure all the the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted because there's a lot of competition out there in the fly ride world and you only get to make a, a good first impression once. So we actually took that entire shipment and put it on the shelf and we never sold it. And we had, we did it again. And that's when they came out later in the year. Really? We just wanted to make every, yep. Huh. We wanted to make every detail of that rod right before we released it. Yeah. So it, it just takes a tremendous amount of communication and just being on the same page and, and effort to make sure we're building the rod that we set out to build and the customer is getting exactly what we want them to get and the quality control is there so we do everything we can on the front end before we get them here yeah right i did not know that y'all had a whole you said a whole shipment yep a whole shipment i won't tell you the amount that cost but it was significant But just to tell you how much we care about what we put out, not to wave our flag, but yeah, I mean, just those those little details, like we're not putting this out. It's got to be right. I think all of us have either seen or bought a rod and you're like, I like it. I, that's just like I bought a really high end rod one time. And the second 
guide to the end of the tip. I mean, it was off. It wasn't tremendous amount, but I looked down it. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it when I bought it, and then I took it out fishing and, and strung some more line through yeah. it, and then I guess that's when I really started looking at it. And I was like, I'll be darned, that's off just a tad. And it bothered me for a little bit, Yep. but it's amazing what happens when you catch a nice fish on a rod. All of a sudden, it's got some mojo, and you're like, don't change anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's got the secret sauce. All of a sudden, it's the greatest rod, and maybe all of them need to be off on the tip right. And it was a it was a pretty yeah. high-end rod. It was it was up there uh, in cost and, and up there in... Um, again air quotes in stature uh and i You're broke right. the tip on it later and when they sent it back it didn't have the, the crook it, it didn't have that little crook and sink to the last mm-hmm. uh, eye but you know and i don't think it lost any mojo either because I, I think they just sent me <laughs> another rod back but <laughs> but right. all rods are basically they're made by humans so they're gonna you're gonna get those ones that come through there every once in a while that have that problem yeah yeah that that's right yeah i have a similar story i, I may have told you this before but i for my 40th birthday, I actually got a really nice gift by a good friend of mine from another rod company that I really admire and love. And it's a very expensive rod. And, you know, when I got it, I pulled it out and looked at it. I was like, man, this is a gorgeous rod. And and I think it was the third section. It had uh, one of the snake guides was off by about 15 degrees. And of course, I didn't have the heart to tell my buddy that just gifted me with this incredible rod. But, you know, I I put it back in the tube and and sent it off to the company and and they fixed it for me. But yeah, all to say, I mean, whether somebody's wrapping your $200 rod or they're wrapping your $1,000 rod, those are human beings doing that, not a robot. So things could happen, you know? So it happens. And that's one thing all rod companies try to do is really quality control check all those rods before they go out making sure everything's good to go. See, and that shows a little bit of difference between you and me, that you want it to be precise. And I'm like, ah, that's probably good enough. <laughs> so you, you sent yours back and I was like, I'm fish this. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. You know, and then when you catch a fish on it, it's a whole other thing, you know, but so you're probably in the right spot to do what you do. If you, mm-hmm. if you want everything to be just, you know, as good as you can possibly get it. And, and I think we all understand something's going to go through every once in a while, but yeah. wow. It goes back to putting a whole batch of rods, a whole shipment of rods on the shelf is mm-hmm. to me is like oh my gosh that would crush me but i i get it i totally understand what you're saying yeah. though but it would just like that'd be a real downer i guess <laughs> it, it, it was and they're perfectly good rods we're really proud of the vesper and how that rod is doing and um we just decided you know what this is our first impression stepping up into this uh better rod world and we're just not going to do it so we had to wait another three months to get it done and more communication back and forth and lessons learned so that factory's in south korea i guess yes sir south korea yeah so that's quite a distance i've got a friend that i talk to every week in south korea a good friend okay here it's daytime it's morning it's like six in the morning there it's 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 in the evening because he's putting his kids to bed so i'm I'm assuming it's about eight o'clock over there close to it Mm -hmm. just that communication back and forth takes a little bit more time than just it does maybe you fly over there once in a while but not over the past year, you probably didn't. I'm trying to go back over there right now, and it's like a two-week quarantine just to show up. You got to be quarantined for two weeks, so it's it's not ideal. But you know, we have good things like Skype and and uh, video, and and that's helpful. Yeah, but yeah, when I'm usually talking to our factory in Korea, it's you know, it's always at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night because it's mid morning there for them the next day. Right. So uh, a lot goes into that for sure. So I think the the best thing to say, just to kind of round out this discussion, is I think it's important to me that the rod is made correctly so that fly goes where that tip is pointed. That's really, that's my bottom line. You know, I don't have to be able to cast a football field. Mm -hmm. That's not my gig. 
it is important that it goes to the rock that I'm trying to toss fly to. That whole distance thing is is really cool and fun to watch, and I admire those people that can throw distance because they're probably pretty good at throwing accuracy too. But it's it's important that it goes where I'm pointing the tip because our fishing other than so you're down in Florida now, so you're in the salt, so distance makes probably a little bit more of a difference for you. And being able to double haul and get some speed and all that stuff makes a difference for you. But we're fishing, you know, we're we're mm-hmm. fishing within 30, 40 feet here on the rivers, on the tailwaters. And then if you're up in like the Smokies or, you know, one of the national forests up in the mountains, it's, you may be four or five, 10 foot out. Mm-hmm. That accuracy becomes more important there in those situations. Not that it's not important in the salt, because when the guide says, hey, there's a redfish at <laughs> at 11 o'clock, you want to make darn sure that whenever you point the rod at 11 o'clock, whenever you deliver that fly, that it's going at 11 o'clock and not veering over to 1030 or, you know, or nine o'clock at worst case. Right, right. Both of those are important, but accuracy will catch you more fish than distance. Yeah, I agree with that. That's opinion from David, but I, I really believe that. I think I see that. I, I agree with that 100%. For all of us buying a fly rod, mm-hmm. what do you think a person should look for when they're buying a fly rod? You give me your answer, and then I'll give you mine. Mine's a l- probably a hundred times less technical than yours is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try not to be technical, but I, I think the first thing to figure out is what are you fishing for? If you're down here where I'm at in Florida, then I'm probably not going to go buy a four weight if I'm looking for a rod for the first time. Although, although I can think of some places here, a four weight would be a lot of fun. <laughs> but in general, I think you kind of have to ask yourself, what are you fishing for? If it's your first rod and you're fishing for trout in a tailwater, then, you know, like a five weight, nine foot, that's sort of your all around freshwater rod that every angler that I know of pretty much has in their quiver. If, if you've been fishing for a while and you know what you're looking for, I, I think it's also important to kind of have an idea of like what action you like and what you prefer. We're all made different. Our mechanics are a little bit different from each other. This is a hotly debated topic with people are fast rods or slower rods better. But I I think it's important to kind of find the rod that you are just comfortable to cast with your natural mechanics and and how you you cast. I think once you determine those two things, that's going to help a lot in figuring out what rod is best for you and then of course you you got to factor in budget like how much you want to spend on that rod and all those things come into play so yeah i would say like what are you fishing for what action do you like and what's your budget i I think those are sort of good places to start and then you can go to the fly shop or wherever you're going to be looking to purchase rod and and start a b and those other rods to see what those little idiosyncrasies between the three that are quote-unquote apples to apples feel best to you that's my opinion (laughs) you said you want to start a being those oh yeah i'm sorry yeah if you're trying if you if you really want to dig in and like figure out like what rod do i want for trout fishing and you've landed on like hey i I think i'm gonna really like a five weight nine foot rod and i want a medium fast action rod you know i feel like that's gonna give me the best of both worlds or whatever so then you can take company a and then you can take company b's rod at the fly shop that are supposed to be the same weight, line weights, the same action and about the same price point. And then you can compare those two rods with the same line and the same reel on there and just see like, hey, what feels better to you? You know, is it the grip size in my hand? Is Does one feel like it has a little bit better swing weight or forget all the technical stuff, just which one feels better to me if you're not even like paying attention to those other things. So, and I think that's very personal for a lot of people, you know, deciding what what's what fits them the best you know it's 
everybody's different. If we were all the same, there wouldn't be a million different tapers and designs and actions and everything else. There would we would all pretty much be agreeing on like what is the best <laughs> fly rod taper. So you get really into the weeds and debates about that. Sort of like, hey, if you drove a Ford and I drove a Chevy, and I'll tell you why I like mine more. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's a very personal thing. You're right. It is a very personal thing. I was just thinking back through your your answer there, and it's even if you're just casting a friend's rod. So that's that's one way that I yeah I'm very lucky. Every trip I do at lunch, I have an opportunity to fish a different rod. It seems like. Because people are always bringing different stuff on the boat. Sure. And while they're eating, a lot of times I'll say, hey, do you mind if I throw this rod? So I get I get to throw all kinds of really cool stuff. Uh, and I, I throw some stuff, you know, that's, they may have a different reel on the same rods that I have. Like Vespers, for instance. I've got some Vespers mm-hmm. on the boat. I've got a little bit smaller reels on those than what a normal person's going to have. Because I don't have to chase a fish. You know, and, and the sure. line's coming yeah. on and off there enough times that it's not going to coil. If it does, it never gets a chance to yeah. coil because if, whenever it starts getting a chance to get some memory in it, it's time for it to go anyway. But sometimes I have even a different reel, and I'm I'm able to test a bunch of rods out, not test, but cast, and say, oh, I really like this one, or I, yeah, this one wasn't as good as I thought. I have cast some really high-end rods that I really thought I wanted, and then when I cast them, I don't want them anymore. Mm-hmm. Not that they're not great and all that. They're just not what I have built up in my mind that they should be, which is terrible. But I do that. Yeah. I think casting a friend's rod, a lot of time, that's how people get turned on to something different. What's the first thing whenever you, somebody's got a new rod, they cast it, show you what they can do, and they go, oh, hey, you want to you want to cast it? Yeah. It would be rude to say no. <laughs> so you cast <laughs> right. it. You're like, yeah, this, this feels good. You know, or or it doesn't feel good, and you still tell them it feels good, you know, because you don't want to. You don't want to be that guy. But those are some of the things that I think that we look at that get us moving toward, it's time for me to get a new fly rod. You know, a a lot of times it's a friend or sometimes you just, I've wandered into the fly, I've I've wandered into Cumberland Transit down there and Grumpy say, hey, you want to come here and cast this rod? I don't want to cast that rod, Grumpy. I don't want to even entertain the thought of buying another fly rod. But I do. And then, you know. Sometimes I'll walk out of yeah. there with something. I think that's that's just him. Uh, I think he's just trying to, tra- I think he's figuring me out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of the same disease that we all have. Like, you know, for for instance, like people that play golf, they feel like they have to have the latest driver that came out the next year and that's going to give them 10% more distance or whatever, you know, with all, all the new rods coming out and you know, you've had the same one for two or three years, like it, depending on your personality, like maybe it sort of lo- loses that sheen for you. And maybe this new rod that, you know, whatever marketing they have behind it, <laughs> they feel like it's going to catch the more fish. And um, 99% of the time it's, it's the wizard and not the wand. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I really encourage folks, you know, I know I've got a fly rod company and we want to sell rods, but what we always tell people is, especially if you're a new angler, you're going to catch exponentially more fish if you take some of your your budget for your gear, whether it's reel or a rod or waders or whatever, set aside some of that money to get in the fly fishing and go go spend a day with a good guide. You can go out and buy the $1,000 rod or the, the highest end Sims wader out there but it's not going to necessarily catch you more fish. You know, I think it's important to get with a good guide or a good buddy that knows what they're doing and spend some time out there with them. And you'll be out there doing what you set out to do, which is catching fish. Can't stress that enough about 
getting a good guide or, or a good buddy that can show you the road. Yeah, I had a good buddy that showed me a ton of stuff. And whenever I went to buy a rod, I went and bought a rod without his input. And I wish I would have listened to him because I bought a reel too. And it's still over there in the desk and has not been opened yet. <laughs> gotcha. It wasn't a lot of money, but it's interesting. I never even opened it. Once I showed it to him, he's like, well, that's not the right reel for that rod, David, which I didn't know. You know, it was sitting right beside it. Right. <laughs> you know? So that was my first experience buying something. It was within my price range, which at the time and still does, that matters. And again, I'll go back mm-hmm. to the rods on the market today. 99% of those rods are going to outcast you. Yep, absolutely. If you can afford a, a $200 rod and that's what you can afford and that's what you're willing to set aside for fly fishing, spend the money, learn how to get all you can out of that rod. And that, that takes time. Mm-hmm. But what I'm looking for when I buy a rod, so here's my answer to that question of what should a person look for when buying a rod. Yeah. I want it to be from a reputable company. Then I want to know, is it the right color? <laughs> yeah. What's more important probably is the color of the real seat. What I really want is a is a really, really nice rod with like a maple colored, like light color real seat. Yeah. And I know everybody doesn't want that, but that I want that. Right. And then I'm going to measure the, the bounce in the tip. Yep. You know, color, color of the real seat, that, that matters to me. So I'm like a crow. I like shiny things, right? So <laughs> those are not quite as important as if I point the tip, it's going to go that direction. Mm-hmm. That to me is... It's got to be a good tool first. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the reputable company. Knowing that like y'all putting your putting your work in there. I'll mention some of the others. I hope that's okay. Uh, the Sages, yeah. the Orvises, you know, the G. Yep. Loomises, all those good rods, the Winstons good rods yep. you know you know that all right these these folks have been around for a while they they know mm-hmm. what they're doing i've had some i've had some really great rods from from most of those companies that i've just mentioned but i've had some that i'm like yeah i don't really like that one and and it's, yeah for sure that's not a company thing that's just that's a feel thing i think more than anything yeah it's all different different rods for different folks i mean some some people might like rod a that you hate you know vice versa you know it's just it just depends i would say the importance of casting a rod before you buy I'll, I'll tell you this. I've got a friend, and I've got a six weight that I've had for. I bet I've had that rod for eight, ten years. Mm-hmm. And I put it in his hand one day because he broke his rod on the boat. And I said, "Well, here, just use this one." You know, once you once you get past all the freak freaked out part of, I just broke my rod. Right. I handed him this six weight, and I said, "Here, just cast this one." And he couldn't cast, it. and I said, "You're just you're just worked up. That's all." So we yeah. we finished the float out. And then he sent his rod back, got it back. We went back fishing again, and he was like, hey, I want to try that rod again. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Couldn't cast it. He just, Mm -hmm. he couldn't get out of his own way. It was amazing. A really good angler, but that rod did not fit him. And I said, are you sure you're not just freaked out still about breaking your rod, and this was the first one that you cast? And he was (laughs) like, no, I don't, that's not it. He said, I just don't like it. I was like, okay, fine. Interestingly, I gave him a five weight, same company, same rod, fine perfectly fine huh. with it. so let me guess it was the difference in the action it had to have been it had to have been a difference in the action it couldn't have been mm-hmm. anything else you know it's basically the same setup but it just didn't that six weight didn't suit him i mean he just he absolutely wouldn't fish it every time i'd bring it back out he'd be like yeah i ain't fishing that okay <laughs> <laughs> Like, hey, it's better than a broken rod. Right. He was able to get through the trip, but it wasn't easy. It was, there was a lot of coaching going yeah. on. Like, dude, we're three miles from the ramps. If you want to fish, this is what you're going to fish. That's kind of what I look for uh, in a rod. Is it a reputable company? What's the color? 
What's the color of the real seat? What's the tip feel like? And that goes back to the uh, the potato that you were talking about. Does it feel okay? It's important to, to, to cast something, in my mind, before you buy it. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, gosh, we've talked about the differences between a $500 and $900 rod. Uh, how a rod's made, y'all's y'all's uh, mm-hmm. y'all's production, and, and then what should I look for whenever I buy a rod? Which I think that's yeah. that's really kind of the biggest thing is getting all the information you can. What else have you got to add? Anything y'all got anything new coming out? I know that you got the Vesper was when was that released last year or the year before? Uh, yes, sir. That, so that was the first one we released was last May that we added to our lineup. That was us dipping our toes into higher performance rods and. Uh, that one's done really well for us. We're, we're really proud of that rod. I mean, vice aside, I feel like you get a lot of rod for the money on that at 449 I think you do too. And, and the people that I've had fish it, they love it. Awesome. That's great. And then, so the Epiphany and the Outcast, the, the Epiphanies are Euro nymphing rod. We redesigned that one from the ground up this past year after the Vesper came out. And we released that one back in November and then sort of the same thing with the outcast you know we had like three years of data on those two rods just from feedback from customers what they loved about it what they didn't like about it and we basically took all of that stuff and compiled it into like here's how we're going to improve it on this next rod and that's what we did those two specifically were massive upgrades uh that we're super stoked about and then let's see this was uh last month we released our first reel called the creed i've seen a picture of it but yeah i haven't seen it that one came out last month and man that's that's done really well for us so you know we just started we just kept it simple we just did three sizes three four a five six and a seven eight two color ways it's a fully machined uh real sealed disc drag system on it so it's kind of your kind of it kind of ticks all the boxes and what you look for on a good reel in terms of just you know sealed disc drag they're super reliable you're not worried about junk getting down in there we're really excited about that and meanwhile we still partner with ross we love those guys up in montrose we still sell their reels. So uh, that's kind of the latest thing that, that we've done. And then we're working on a new version of the Revival, which is our glass rod. And then also a new version of our Drifter. Those two won't be out for quite a while yet. Anyway, we're always just trying to improve our products every time. So that's interesting. Y'all don't, y'all aren't changing the name of the rods. That's interesting because every time somebody else makes a change, they change the color, change this and that, and then they call it a new rod. We, uh, you know, like in-house, we just say, you know, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the Outcast 2 or whatever, but we don't, we don't call it the Outcast 2 on our website that we're just referring to it as like the second edition or whatever. But yeah, we, we like the names and we're, we're set up in a way that we can keep it the same and, you know, for warranties, oh, yeah. parts or whatever, like we can distinguish between all that. So it's not a problem for us. So if people, if people dislike something enough, then we'll change it. If they, if they like it, then we'll try to keep the essence of what it is. So with the drifter that we're going to eventually put out the, the second drifter, like we're going to keep a lot of the same aesthetics on it. We're just going to improve the tool itself in the blank you know so y'all made the grip a little smaller at one time didn't you yeah so that was a big ask for a lot of our customers at the beginning you're trying to find the right grip for all hand sizes and 
you know, that's not super easy, but what we did was just reduce the overall diameter of that. Right. That was one of the things that I was like, yeah, if I wish you could make it a little, you know, just maybe my hands aren't as big as some folks, but it, it was, it feels much better now. No, that was, that was something we, we needed to fix and we did. So yeah, we, uh, let's see on the horizon. We're, we're working on a midnight special too. So it'll still be the same um, idea of making a custom shop type rod with all sorts of different real seat colors and uh, different things that people have liked before. But that's another one. We're just we're going to improve the blank on that one and put higher quality guides on that as well. So we're really excited about that. It's just going to be a nicer package altogether. So, yeah, man, we're just always trying to keep moving forward and make better stuff and listen to our customers. So we're excited. We're all gear hounds. You know, it seems like yeah. I talk about getting less and less and, and downsizing all that. That's just me clearing the way for new stuff is really all that. When it comes down to it, that's yeah. really what it is. But, well, man, I appreciate you uh, stopping by this morning and talking with me. And Yeah, man. I'm sure that somewhere in here, somebody's going to grab onto something and say, yes, that makes sense. Because, again, I just wanted this to be kind of a common sense discussion. Mm-hmm. Dip our toe a little bit into some of the ways that rods are made and some of the, the different things that you look at to make one. But uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it. Tell your friends. I want to stop right here and say I really appreciate all the support that people are giving this podcast. It's it's crazy the feedback that I've been getting, and it's humbling at the same time. I think I'm like super blessed to to have some of the folks in my corner that for this podcast that that are that are in this corner helping us, especially the listeners. They really they really guide this thing now. I'm getting a, a bunch of requests to do certain things, and I'm like putting them on the schedule further and further out because there's so many different things that that folks want us to do and a lot of things that I want to do. I appreciate those folks that help me with the direction that really make this thing go. If you want to look at Moonshine Rods, they're at moonshinerods.com. Again, thanks, Tate Cunningham, for for stopping back by. Not only are you the guest on Episode 5, but it looks like you'll be the guest on Episode 31 as well. It's good to have you, man. Yeah, thank you, David, for having me again. And proud to be on your show. And I, I hope this is helpful for your listeners. Come see us. We'll be happy to help you as much as we can. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate you. And see you next time on Southeastern Fly. idea i went did the same thing well we're not gonna be here forever but you're gonna need something to drink and make you think right at least i do anyway mm-hmm. oh i do part of that getting older thing <laughs> you're talking about <laughs> amen to that